you are listening to AI Ready Healthcare. I am Anirban Mukhopadhyay, your host from Tiu Darmstadt, Germany. The purpose of AI Ready Healthcare is to connect the advanced technological knowledge of Mekai society to different stakeholders such as clinicians, industry personnel, regulatory personnel to name a few. You can expect deep meaningful conversations about bringing AI into the real clinical routine. Opinion belongs to whoever said it. Anything said here is not medical advice. Together let's make healthcare AI ready. There was a veil between them composed of good thread not carelessly woven. Therefore, they did not ignore it or poke at it but honored what hid them one from the other. Thus, they served their love as those old Spanish masters served, the one who does not manifest. You are listening to A Veil by Leonard Cohen. And now we move on to this week's episode of AI Ready Healthcare, where it was my privilege to talk to Chidu and she explained why federated learning is so important when we are considering patient privacy preserved learning from the radiology data. This is a wonderful day here in Darmstadt. It's very sunny and still warm enough. And I want to welcome all of you in a very warm fashion because competing with the day, we have a wonderful guest here. Chi Chi Du, she's going to be with us for this uh, entire episode of AI Ready Healthcare. And we will hear from her more about the sort of a very interesting research she is doing. We will hear, of course, more about her background. But very briefly, she is an assistant professor in the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And she is leading a group uh, there for, I guess, about three or four years by now. But we will, of course, hear more about it from her. Uh, her research interests are in the machine learning, medical image analysis, surgery, all sorts of stuff. But before going to Chi, I want to introduce our co-host today, Henry. Hi, I'm Henry. I'm today's co-host. It was a great pleasure for me to have you here today, Chi, for today's session of our podcast and AI Ready Healthcare. Yes, uh, this is an absolute pleasure to have you here, Chi. So maybe you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much, Avery, for the invitation. And it's very happy and it's my pleasure and honor to be here to share my experiences and for discussions with you. So my name is Chido, pronunciation is Chi. I'm currently an assistant professor in Chinese University of Hong Kong, but not that long. I just started uh, last spring. So currently I have done this position for around the one and a half year. And uh, I did my bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering in Beijing, China. And starting from the year 2014, I started my PhD. 
and also in the same university, the Chinese University of Hong Kong Department of Computer Science and Engineering for around four years. And then uh, after that, I went to Imperial College London for the postdoc training, working with Professor Ben Grocker and in the Biomedia Lab, also with Daniel Rockett and, uh, and many excellent researchers in that big lab. So after uh, a fantastic one and a half years in London, I go back to Hong Kong and start my faculty position here. So currently I'm leading a research team here. We are focused on AI for healthcare applications, in particular for medical image analysis and also for robotic surgery applications. And I think that I'm one of the uh, lucky person that experienced the uh, era of AI and witnessed uh, the big rise of AI playing an important role uh, in the healthcare domain, in particular for the medical imaging, which that I'm most familiar with. And uh, in the past, uh, I think almost 10 years, we have seen many, many milestone works coming up in this field and also in Kai society is also growing rapidly. And I still remember my first year when come to Mikai conference that is in 2016. And uh, I bring my first paper actually there and uh, see so many world leading researchers doing orals and uh, discussing. And then I open my eyes there. And then that afterwards, I further determined my mind and uh, an interest to going further in this particular field to do more researches. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for the introduction. So today we will have a special topic. Uh, so in the previous episodes, we have discussed about various topics such as uh, COVID-19 diagnosis and using data sets from multiple centers and combining these data sets. And today we're going to address a technical uh, topic related to um, using multi-center data sets, which uh, addresses federated learning. So uh, federated learning will be today's major topic. So I'm going to ask you, Chi, about federated learning in general, because you have uh, published in this field and uh, you are an expert in federated learning. So um, can you maybe give us a quick introduction about this research field and what it means in technical terms. Yeah, thanks, Henry. For I also believe that federated learning is an important topic and also becoming more and more important topic in nowadays if we talk about a large-scale imaging with AI. So basically, I think for federated learning, that is a very useful paradigm for decentralized training, basically in medical domain, if we have different hospitals and they are willing to share their data, but also have the need to protect the privacy of patient data, then the federal learning will be an ideal scheme to allow this collaboration while making the data is well protected. So I think this is this stands an essential, I mean, position of the, the medical imaging uh, algorithm aspect. So I started to look at the multi-center uh, learning problem around uh, three or four years ago. And that time, the deep learning model, in particular convolutional neural networks, have made breakthroughs in performance, uh, basically in accuracy, predictions for some uh, well-established uh, tasks like the detection and segmentation. Even sometimes uh, the model is performing in a comparable, I mean, performance in in comparison with experts in the domain. And 
Uh, one most important reason or engine behind such high performance is the large amount of data. So people starting to get realized that collecting more data uh, will be an important view to make AI that actually play an important role that is uh, make it possible to translate the techniques into clinical use. So at that time, uh, there are also, meanwhile, also many public challenges that people release the data set. And some of the data sets, they share the same tasks. I mean, there are different data sets, for example, all of them, the segment uh, same particular type of organ or, or, or diagnose the same type of diseases. And uh, motivated by this, we started to think about a while, how about we combine these different data sources together to do the training. And then that is basically forming the, uh, the scheme of multi-center training. And after uh, some uh, preliminary observations from the experiments and practices, we found that uh, basically putting this data simply together can sometimes not naturally give you the best results because the different uh, data sources, they have their own characteristics. For example, some hospital may use this particular a vendor the machine like the Philips and some others may use Siemens, Siemens, et cetera. So all this data, they have a type of heterogeneity in the distribution. Even sometimes from the leaked eye, like us, the engineers doing AI-related research for imaging, we, we may not even notice the differences in the images, but the model is very sensitive. So uh, with the appearance of the performance drop that you train one model on one data set and uh, put it on another data set for validation. So this naturally uh, puts up the challenge that how can we basically or effectively put multi-source data together. So that is the problem that uh, we studied um, about two years ago and with some normalization methodologies, and also some other researchers in the field proposed some adversarial trainings and uh, some, uh, uh, some like see, the regularization methodologies to allow this kind of training on multi-source heterogeneous data. And now, faculty learning even uh, make this possibility further. For example, if we can use faculty learning and more and more hospitals or more and more institutions, they are willing to join these collaborative efforts to train a model. And for one benefit is to collect more data, but in the meanwhile, also bring the challenge of more heterogeneity in the data set. So that's why in federal learning research, currently in the literature, people talk about the topics of non-IID issues. It basically means the data not sampled from the same distribution or same identical distribution. So those heterogeneity issues poses challenges to federal learning. And also, if we consider some medical domain-specific challenges that is on top of the federal learning paradigm, for example, if some hospitals the, uh, they have very well-organized data set and the data well-labeled, but some hospitals or some clients in the federal learning, they, they are willing to share all their data, but they don't have time or due to many reasons, they don't have the labels. And then how could we still form this federal learning training program by welcoming all the participants that are willing to share their data? And this is also one issue together with federal learning uh, nowadays. And uh, for another example, let's say uh, the data amount is not consistent 
across hospitals. Maybe some major hospitals, they have a lot of data and some small hospitals, but they also are valuable in the collaboration, but the data amount is not so balanced. And then how could solve the issue on top of federal learning is also a major topic that can bridge federal learning into translational level performance to the medical applications. And so that's my feeling and uh, and my research in basically trajectory for factory learning. So it comes from the needs from the domain. So people want to collect more data and more data can basically help a better performance for the tasks. And then that can ultimately uh, to allow the final solutions on practical problems. And uh, technically, there are also some domain-specific issues on top of respiratory learning. So, for example, as I mentioned, data engineering, sample balancing issues, labeling issue, imbalance issues, and also the data amount imbalance across our clients. And all this coming together with the excitement of federal learning, and that's all we need to solve if the federal learning is play a really important role or is uh, making its very work in the medical domain. Wonderful. Thanks for the very nice summary of the technicalities of federated learning, especially in the medical image analysis context. I think our listeners will much appreciate such a summary because this this puts the entire thing into context. So I guess the next question I have in mind is about our colleagues from the Department of Radiology. So if they are interested in knowing basically what federated learning can offer for them without really wanted to know the details of how things are or what are the technical challenges, what will be your answer to that? Why they would prefer federated learning than the more traditional supervised uh, static centralized sort of learning? I think this is also an interesting topic. And I also discussed with my uh, radiologist colleagues and they also sometimes ask similar points. And I think federated learning, basically it can allow more possibilities if the clinicians want to join the AI rise or do some AI-related works. So for example, if in traditional supervised learning, if one center, they only have a small amount of data, that's basically not very easy to get a very good model. And effective learning, the allow uh, the joint efforts gives new possibilities for allowing many many people working together so that they can get integrated efforts to achieve something that otherwise cannot be achieved on a single center. So for radiologists particularly, I think there's a very huge opportunity. Basically, you know that currently the uh, radiology image analysis is getting almost the highest performance of, among all the AI image applications. And that's also the most of the public data come uh, arrive, uh, fall in the radiology part, like CT, MRIs, and, and ultrasound, et cetera. So in terms of this, I think the radiologist uh, from the clinician perspective, as an engineering, from my own opinion, I think the clinical topic or clinical task is an important part uh, in the study. So the technologies, the methodologies can sometimes be general. So it can be applied on many, many different scenarios, but the task itself is uh, an important role here. So uh, for some particular diseases, and each hospital may only have a small amount of data. Basically, it depends on the prevalence of the disease and the population cohorts of the patients. And uh, uh, 
getting joint efforts to solve this particular data scarcity-based applications or scenarios can give a better realization of the value of faculty learning and the joint training effort. Yeah, and also the faculty learning can help alleviate some of the concerns from the clinical colleagues. So sometimes if we collaborate with uh, the, like radiologists or, or some like surgeons, and I do some surgical basic things, and they very careful about the, the patient privacy the data. So if the faculty learning paradigm and you can tell them that the data can be only stored locally and only the model is uploaded for training, and then they can be better, I mean, alleviate their concern on the data aspect and more basically willing to do the collaboration and move forward in some cases. Yeah. Wonderful. So I have a follow-up question to that. So imagine if I am a radiologist sitting in hospital in the developing world, right? So I might ask you that if it's a rare disease that occurs, I don't know, five times or 10 times in a year for my department, why do I care about your AI method or deep learning method of whatever static, federated, dynamic, continual, I will just do it myself. So what would be the sort of benefit that a deep learning AI method trained in a federated way can bring to the developing world when it comes to sort of rare diseases that you are mentioning? Um, So you mentioned the developing world. I believe that's also an impact area that uh, this AI-based automated diagnosis will eventually realize its impact in. So I, first, I want to um, also clarify a bit for the very rare diseases, as you mentioned, maybe one year, there are only a couple of cases. For those rare cases, I personally think that's not so ready to be used for federal learning, as you mentioned. So even we collaborate together, it's only 100 cases worldwide. But the development and the infrastructure and the training may take a lot of efforts, much more than that. that, that. So federal learning itself, maybe at this stage, is more... Uh, relatively uh, suitable for those common diseases, but not that common. Basically, each hospital, normally, in my experience currently, for some cancer diseases, each hospital per year uh, in Hong Kong can have hundreds of cases. So that is a normal situation. And if we can get 20 or, or, or even 50 hospitals working together, that can amount up to the data into thousand scale. And then that can unleash the potential of to learning. So in terms of the developing countries of, for as a beneficiary of fantasy learning, this can be regarded, uh, I, let me see, can think of it as two stages. So one stage is called training stage and the other is for the inference and testing stage. So uh, basically for training, it requires currently the highest performance is obtained with supervised learning. And some as well as learning also get very promising results, but still not as high as those uh, supervised learning performances. And if in the training stage, every I, I basically means every uh, hospital that's willing to share the data and participate in the training and contribute to the labeling could uh, play a role here, including the developing countries and the developed countries. And in the testing procedure or the in testing stage, the developing countries will potentially have more benefit. So basically the model have already absorbed the experience and expertise from those experts, clinicians, radiologists, et cetera. 
from those developed countries. And all this knowledge and experiences and observations are already absorbed in the model, in the complex neural network. And this AI model, if deployed to the developing countries, where the cases may not be that large and the appearance may not be very well gathered, and with the help of this absorbed knowledge in a model-wise, can help the diagnosis performances in those developing countries. And in terms of factory learning, it also allows this kind of knowledge transfer from the global client to a global node to each single client that is participating in the, in the training and testing. So there is a currently another um, related concept is called testing harm adaptation. So it basically means once the model is trained, it can be continuously updated based on some local data or some people call this as a personalization of the model, et cetera. So those are all similar concepts. And uh, I feel that uh, eventually if, if the model can be perfectly fit to each individual client or each individual hospital, the ultimate solution will include an uh, ingredient of this test time adaptation to that particular scene. And this also uh, shed some lights on the developing country application scenario. And for my team currently, we also look at these problems as well. And uh, for the setting of faculty learning uh, generalization, so we look at the training of inside federation, basically means in all the training sites within the faculty training scheme. And also we emphasize on the outside federation. Basically we study how the model can be generalized afterwards decentralized training and sequentially including new clients into the federated family. Wonderful. Thank you so much for really elaborating on this point because I always like from the many discussions I had during this AIAD Healthcare podcast in the last few episodes or seasons, basically, I have learned again and again that there is a tremendous potential benefit of AI, imaging AI technology in the radiology of the developing world. So thank you for really bringing this forward in the federated learning setting. So you talked about generalization, you talked about common diseases, and what better thing to talk about than COVID-19 in 2021, of course. So, and that brings us right to the topic of your recent paper, which is published in Nature Partner Journal's Digital Medicine. The paper is called Federated Deep Learning for Detecting COVID-19 Lung Abnormalities in CT, Privacy Preserving multinational validation study. It's a 2021 paper where she is the first author. So we will dig deep and learn more from her. What was the experience? How was the paper written? How was the paper conceived? All these very interesting things. But this is really a paper which I recommend all our listeners to really read and go through it. It's a wonderful paper that takes a lot more effort than just writing codes in Python and you will uh, see immediately the access of efforts are so much different than basically downloading data from web, downloading code from Python and making things happen. So yeah, I guess the first question I will, or the first thing I will ask you to really elaborate is maybe elaborate three takeaway points from this particular paper for our audience. 
Thank you very much for mentioning the paper. So this, I want to say this paper is not possible without all the great support of all the co-authors. So we built a, a wonderful team, including the colleagues from engineering background and like me in our department, and also colleagues from the faculty of medicine from radiology department and CHK, and also the international colleagues uh, like ben, Professor Ben Glocker and Daniel from Imperial and, and QM and all their collaborating clinicians there, and also collaborators from mainland China and also based on the engineering and the clinicians in mainland China. So without this wonderful team, it, the, the paper is not possible. So I've, I have to first uh, make the first point or uh, one of the three points. The first one is to big thanks to the uh, fantastic team. And this also reflects the nature of, of this uh, kind of uh, interdisciplinary research, especially for the COVID-related study at this special time. So a uh, close collaboration uh, have to be uh, formed to be able to uh, 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 support such kind of uh, study. So that is the first important thing. And the second thing uh, would be, so the, the that is my uh in particular, first work applying uh, faculty learning to, to medical imaging, basically from our team. And uh, then a special time, the story behind that is, is around the uh, February last year. And uh, I just uh, onboard my new position here at CHK in the middle of COVID. So I started to think about why not do something related to COVID. And then I started to talk to my colleagues around, also including uh, my long-lasting collaborator, the radiologist in Hong Kong U and uh, and CHK and etc. So ask about the data issues. So this is the most important thing. So without data, <laughs> can't do nothing. So basically, with their strong support, we collected multi-centered data from Hong Kong, including three local hospitals, and uh, we also hurried up to do all the annotations uh, manually, uh, we also with the strong support of, of the team uh, so that we can do things quickly. And then build up the federal model to do the abnormality detection. So the model itself is also based on one of our previous work that I have done during postdoc in Piro. So that is a automatic detector to automatically find the lesions of normalities in CT images. And then that's with all the uh, previous record of the of the model and also the record of the uh, collaboration relationships. So that allows us to very quickly shape up the model and get the data set to get a federated global model. And then one important thing, as I just mentioned, is the generalizability of the model also applies for the federated learning model. So we started to look for the collaborations, collaborative data sets worldwide, and to validate the model. Also, basically, uh, we, found, uh, we found four different uh, sites uh, within a very short period of time. So everybody is, is very uh, supportive and active very quickly, you know, at that time. So time is, <laughs> is very important. So that is uh, the thing that I want to mention. So based uh, without those previous work and, uh, and accumulations, they, this work is also not possible to be done very, such quickly. And the last thing is about the work itself. So as I mentioned, that is the first work that we practically do faculty learning for medical imaging in my team. And we observed the effectiveness of, the, of this technique 
and that enhances our faith in studying factory learning further applications and in wider topics. For example, we currently study inside outside federation and semi-supplies, etc. things. And in the study, we do observe that the joint uh, training from multiple sites, even in a decentralized way, can yield a better performance than single center training. So that basically means the observations of factory learning of its previous success in other regions, other domains also applies here in medical imaging. Uh, meanwhile, we also notice further uh, domain-specific challenges, as I mentioned, the data distribution, et cetera. So the lucky thing is the data modality that we use CT for the cohort diagnosis. And you know, the based on the imaging principles of distribution shift of, of CT across the hospital is not that large as MRI. So that allows the model have a reasonable generalability directly for different hospitals, yeah. And also privacy is emphasized here in the study. So we send the model to each individual client for the testing without getting their data at hand. And this strictly uh, obeys the, the rules of federal learning. And it also uh, gives a special situation of COVID when the data is super sensitive and also demonstrates that this uh, federal learning technique will play a role in such real needs in practice. Thank you very much for the summary. It's really nice to see that uh, the federated learning paradigm is applied in an actual uh, situation for an actual application and um, it actually shows benefits here. So uh, one question that I have is about the privacy actually, because uh, this federated learning approach is uh, yeah, privacy respecting. So how is that achieved on a technical level? How does federated learning compared to other approaches uh, preserve the privacy? This is also a great point that I, I overlooked before. So uh, federated learning, it is a form of decentralized training program. Basically, it allows the data not to be physically centralized in one place, but this not automatically guarantee a perfect privacy for the data. So there are still some techniques that can regenerate the data based on some of the features and some of the gradients, et cetera. So to mentioning the privacy on top of factory learning, I believe there also how important scientific research challenges and issues need to be solved for particular techniques to provide privacy. For example, I, as far as I know in our field in the Mikai Society, uh, Professor Daniel Rooker's team now is looking into the privacy issues, and they recently also have a Nature Machine Intelligence paper mentioning this particular issue, and they have currently some released works on it. So I believe more and more works similar to this will be coming out in the very soon in the field, and uh, this is also a very challenging topic, I have to say, uh, to study both theoretically and practically. For example, if you look at the differential privacy issues, uh, if you look at into the deeper backend, there's a very complex reasonings behind that. And all the things we have to solve in different levels. I mean, in the pure machine learning aspect, people have to solve the fundamental issues. And in some application aspect, the domain-specific issues also need to be solved together. And all in all, combining them together can have a, a reasonable solution for the privacy issues. Yeah. So that is my uh, real point in the privacy. So overall, currently, I, we haven't seen too much work yet in privacy, in particular for the 
medical applications, but they do have a lot of privacy uh, study and security related research in other relevant computer science domains. And we have to fully respect those research outcomes and based on that to move step by step further for the domain specific scenarios. All right, thank you. Um, maybe another technical question as a follow-up about the prerequisites that I, one would need to set up such a federated learning. Um, I mean, what uh, hardware infrastructure resources would be needed to create a uh, federated learning setup at multiple sites? So is there some special server infrastructure necessary or um, does it scale just as well as I would call them traditional centralized approaches. Yeah, thanks, Harry. This is also another great point. And the infrastructure currently is a fundamental thing and also sort of bottleneck for people studying federal learning. So if current research papers are mainly based on a simulated setting of federal learning, there is still not too many uh, works appear uh, uh, in the field using the real-world federal learning. I know some groups and uh, some companies, they are actively uh, working on this infrastructure to enable the, the real federated learning allowed in, the, in practice, but that may take some time and uh, also need to be developed in iteration by iteration. So need to first have a, a basic version infrastructure and then put people to use it and reflect some issues and then backward to upgrade it. So these different iterations also take some time. Uh, but I believe this infrastructure uh, setting will eventually come out uh, in the field because that is a sort of is a must thing that if if we want to push this technique into the uh, practical use. Some big companies worldwide, as far as I know, for example, the NVIDIA, they are doing relevant things and the Intel also has related things it's undergoing. And uh, in particular for NVIDIA, you know the also uh, people from Mikai community, for example, Ross and, uh, and Da Guang, they are uh, in NVIDIA from Medical Imaging Bank Guang and the also actively develop FL algorithms on the distributed setting and based on their NVIDIA infra infrastructure. And they also recently have published a very high impact papers. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's also for COVID applications. So uh, as you see, people are actively studying this area, both in implementations and also in methodologies. And uh, both of these infrastructure development and adaptive development, they happen in parallel. So uh, one don't need to reach after another and they are mutually benefiting each other. Yeah. And currently there are also some uh, public uh, available uh, faculty learning research platforms uh, that can help to unify or help to standardize the development procedure of faculty learning algorithms. And all these things will eventually, uh, I believe, help the uh, unified infrastructure and uh, on top of that is the unified platform for federal learning. And on top of that, people develop diverse algorithms. Yeah, I also personally very much look forward to such infrastructure coming out very soon so that we can do more based on these platforms and give more possibilities. Thank you. I really liked the aspect that you are talking about in terms of the infrastructure as well, because this is often somehow gets under the under the rug that how much 
infrastructure is actually really needed to do such research in a university setting. So thanks for bringing that up. In the introduction of the paper, you were basically talking about the generalization across countries, across centers. And if we see the paper that you have written, you're like, basically you are using all sorts of, not you, but the hospitals basically are using all sorts of vendors like G, Siemens, Philips, Toshiba, you name it, they have it there. And then you are showing your method generalizes to all these setups, which is an amazing feat on its own. But Another thing that you mentioned around the time is basically the imbalance of the data set and how that might impact the performance. Now, if we look at your data set, we see that there is a massive imbalance in both training and testing data. So, for example, in the training data, I can see one center provided 65 or so cases, the internal ones versus the other one. The other two together had 10 cases. Similar thing is not exactly similar, but very similar that one center provided 35. The second best is uh, 10 cases in your uh, testing data. So first of all, the first question would be, how does that impact your training algorithm, which is updating the weights based on these sort of distribution? Uh, and the second question is, how does it or how it might impact the actual validation, the results, the use of that you are generating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. So uh, this exactly reflects the real world. So at that time, different hospitals uh, they are willing to join the work, and then we asked for the for the data. And in the very emergency situation of the COVID, that's the best data that we can get at that time. And that's exactly the, the real situation that may happen in many, many situations in current and, and in the future for the field. So uh, we also noticed that issue for the sample balance issue. And uh, we, in fact, uh, did our best to alleviate this limitation at that stage. So in the discussion part of that paper, we also mentioned that uh, training is based on per lesion-wise, not per case-wise. So basically for the abnormality detection, uh, each single lesion or each, each single abnormality region is regarded as one independent training sample. And if considering this, the data scale is suddenly become a lot. It's over 1,000, uh, 10,000 samples per site. And that helps a lot to alleviate the sample imbalance issues. So basically from our observation in the in the training, this imbalance didn't severely affect the performance, but we also don't know how much it in fact uh, affected because we don't get the, the real balance data to do the, the training eventually. But at least from the testing status of the model performance, the results is, is very reasonable to us. So that's our conclusion and solution for the problem at that stage. And in addition to the amount imbalance, another more important issue, a balance issue, is the labeling inconsistency. Because different experts in different regions with different training backgrounds, they may have different opinions on some cases, especially on some ambiguous cases. This is exactly what we met in the study. So you know the seven centers, they individually label their data with their own criteria. And I didn't see the data and they didn't see my data. And we never know whether that is 
really consistent. So we just uh, tried our best. We actually tried our best to define what appearance is a lesion and to which size and regard it as a positive lesion and to which side you can ignore that and as a minor lesion, etc. But in the practice, different people still may have uh, unavoidably introduce such inconsistency. And those we call it uh, a conceptual shift in the labeling. And uh, that is the, the issue basically we have to solve and the open problem in the, in the next uh, uh, stage study. Yeah. And uh, in the validation uh, process, this conceptual shift also affected a bit for the study, especially in the, uh, in the Europe data set. You know the data is trained on the Hong Kong cohort and validated from other cohorts, including a Europe cohort. And in that one, we noticed that the performance is in particular lower than those other cohorts. Uh, we also contacted the, the team's clinicians colleagues to uh, check their data and their hand. And then we really noticed that some of the uh, labeling is not consistent in terms of concept. And uh, we also uh, reported this issue in the discussion in the, in the paper so that uh, bring out this important issue for the community to notice that and for further uh, studies for possible solutions, including us. We also look at this issue and not. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for uh, the very nice discussion. So looking at the timeline, we're coming a bit to the final questions. And um, well, summarizing the previous discussion point, I can only highly recommend to check out the paper and also um, check out the research that is coming from this group. So uh, speaking of which, I want to ask my final question to you. So we are researchers and we are doing research, and we are also doing research on the guests that we are inviting to our podcasts. And we have found that you are also investigating other very interesting topics in your research lab. So can you maybe elaborate about those topics? Yeah, thanks, Harry, for, for, my, for the opportunity for me to mention other topics that is happening in my uh, lab now. Yeah, so currently we are um, I'm a little bit extending the research from radiological image analysis to some intervention-related uh, studies. As you know, diagnosis is definitely one important uh, phase in the whole chain of clinical care. And in the meanwhile, computer-assisted intervention is also another more challenging field that we need to solve. As you know, the Mikai is medical image computing and computer-assisted intervention. So only we uh, see both parts as a whole that can really fulfill the value of a certain information technology in the, in the field, right? So after I say uh, diagnosis of the, of, of the students, we have to uh, consider how the treatment is otherwise and performed. So, and this field is also very wide. In particular, currently my lab is focusing on the intervention aspect, in particular for ro robotic surgery. So robotic surgery basically is a new tool. It's an emerging tool that is happening in the field that gave the surgeons uh, more flexibility and, and the possibility to do the surgery and reach the regions that cannot be reached before in the open surgery. And also for the patients, it also gives a lot of benefits, like see the smaller incision and faster recovery and improve the life quality after the procedure. So I believe this type of intervention form is uh, will play an important role in the coming years and, and long future. So 
In particular, currently we focus on the parts of the perception parts of robotic surgery and the learning parts of robotic surgery, which is connected to my previous research experiences. So the uh, perception basically means to understand the procedure based on the recorded video from the robot. So the when the computer can automatically understand what is being done and which part is being cut and what is the next part to be cut. And all this context understanding uh, forms the environment of, of, of robotic surgery. And this awareness can allow further assistance for the surgeons to do the procedure uh, faster, safer, and with better outcomes. And uh, additional uh, in connection with this is for the automation related and, and intelligence in the surgery. For example, training for the surgeon takes a lot of time and uh, some surgeons still have to learn in the duration of the procedure. So if the AI techniques can provide some hints and assistance during the surgery and speed up their learning curves. So that can save out a lot of effort for, for the surgeons to do the training and get familiar with the procedure. That is better for shorten the surgery time and shorten the, the queen for the patients in waiting for doing a procedure. So that is the, the robotic surgery part that is happening in my uh, lab now. And I'm also very fortunate to leveraging the huge resources in CHK. Uh, we have the ro uh, robotic teams with experts from automation, uh, mechanical and, and robotics, and also the strong support from the faculty of medicine. And they are supporting us for the diagnosis researches. The department of surgery uh, colleagues from department of surgery is also strongly supporting the AI in robotic surgery, and we uh, work very closely together to fulfill the mission of building AI to get better care for robotic surgery. Yeah, thank you so much for really bringing this point because this is something we are very much interested in as well. Surgical data science, surgical skill analysis. So these are all very interesting. So maybe at some point in future, we will invite you again Chi, to talk about that other side of your research, which we couldn't really cover in details. But really, that brings us to the last question of this podcast to you. So I would like you to imagine a perfect world where you don't have to care about writing grants, teaching, grading exams, or whatever other things that faculties have to do and can only focus all your energy into research for the next five years. So what sort of big problems you would have tackled or want to tackle in such a perfect research world? Yeah, thanks, Arbin. Uh so uh, you mentioned the surgical data science, and I echo to that. So I believe this is a very important uh, field, and uh, that field is relatively young. And I'm also new, <laughs> relatively a new member to this field. So you know, in Mikai, there are already uh, many experts, uh, such as Lena, Dan, and Pierre, the, uh, and Stephanie. They are also uh, already, and Nicholas, working a lot in this area, and they put a lot of position papers on surgical data science, pointing out those important challenges and possible pathways to solve these issues. So I firmly believe that surgical data science will be one important uh, topic that is to be studied in the coming years. 
Also, in particular for my team, I believe that uh, we have special, continue to have a special focus in AI for healthcare, in particular for imaging-based research. And uh, these things, I have to, I, I want to regard it as a heretical level. So, uh, basically, the fundamental level is the is the AI fundamental research for machine learning, for example. We study all the fundamental issues like the generalizability and the privacy robustness issues. And all these solutions, I, I think the root in the field of machine learning aspect. And uh, so that's the, the part that uh, our team is also is working on currently. And in the middle layer is some algorithm level. So we design particular algorithms and methodologies to solve those issues that coming up in your domain specific tasks like the diagnosis as we have done a lot and the interventions image guided surgery etc all these things belongs to the the middle part and the third part and also the most impactful part is translational medicine so all these technologies how to be translated to the real practice and that play a role in the clinical workflow only after that the value of these techniques can be sufficiently fulfilled. And that part needs to have large-scale data validation. So you apply the model on a large-scale data rather than a small-scale, uh, well-established data set. And also needs to be collaborate very closely with the clinicians so that you know what is the core problem in their hand and in their routine so that these technical tools can solve the problem to the point. All right. I'm afraid I missed your last, uh, your, your very last question about guarantee issues and uh, and research topic, etc. I yeah. think you are totally good. You didn't miss any questions. You answered all properly. So yeah, thank you so much for the wonderful discussion, Jit. So this was really nice to hear where your research is leading and we wish you all the success in bringing the fundamental machine learning AI research as well as the translational aspects of AI towards healthcare. We, I'm sure in the coming years, we will see more and more awesome research coming out from your relatively young group. So all the best for that. Thank you so much again for the invitation. I really enjoyed the talking and the sharing. And I do believe that you provide an excellent platform for the community to share, to inspire, and to create. Thank you so much. <laughs>